The following is a Thunderbolt West Media Production. This show is going to be all about producing power and foraging for food. You are listening to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show with Jim Calhoun. The storm was coming, the sky was on fire, fear was in their eyes. Peter cried out, we're all gonna die. It's my opinion that we all should be prepared to lean on our faith and be able to step out on the sea. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. I'm your host, Jim Calhoun. This show features off-grid topics such as creating your own power, gardening, homesteading, and other issues involved with off-grid living. And from time to time, I'll throw in some political comments as well, because I really do feel that our republic is worth saving. And any chance I have to do that, I take it. My goal I wish to accomplish with this show is to make my listeners self-sufficient and also to help them build their faith in God. This show comes to you from the Harmony Barn Studio, located near Hershey, Nebraska in the United States of America. This show is aired on KYAH, 540 AM, Delta, Utah, Utah's Talk Authority. It can also be heard on 89.3 FM, Key Radio in Osage Beach, Missouri. And on shortwave, it can be heard on WRMI, Radio Miami International. This show is also a podcast available on demand by these services. Anchor, Spreaker, PodPoint, and PodPage. And I thank you so much for tuning in. Well, I'd like to start out today's show by saying a big thank you for all of those who are contributing to the Living Off Grid Power and Information Show to keep this show on the air. Thanks to you, it's growing. And I can't tell you enough how I would like to meet each and every one of the people that have donated. I'd love to meet you and shake your hand and give you a very sincere thank you. And also to all of those who have written me about my newsletter. I've actually been overwhelmed with the response. And so I've decided instead of a little simple newsletter, I'm going to make it just a little bit more complex and with more material that I'm going to cover. And so be patient with me as I develop this newsletter because the reason I decided to start a newsletter wasn't because I had popular demand to start one. It was because I truly do feel that the Internet is going to get disrupted or go away entirely for a little while anyway. And we might even lose our power and all sorts of things depending on 
what these crazy people in the world decide to do with their their wars and their concocted different crises and their pandemics and their scamdemics and you kind of get the idea. But I wanted a way to be able to help those that really wanted my advice. I wanted to have a way for me to be able to contact them. And I think the best way to do that, if we lose power, if we lose internet, is going to be through this newsletter. And the newsletter is going to cover the topics that I cover on the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. And I'll be able to add some pictures and some other things also. And this newsletter is going to go out absolutely free. It's going to cost me a little bit to get it out, but that's okay. I believe you have to put wood in the stove before you expect to get any heat. And so I'm going to go ahead and cover the cost of this newsletter as I send it out. And if you haven't already subscribed to the newsletter, you can do so by sending me an email at jim at offgridliving.faith. Jim at offgridliving.faith. And just tell me that you'd like to have the newsletter sent to you. Now, I'm going to send it by PDF file if I can. But if you want me to send it to a physical address, please please state that in your email, whether you want it PDF or whether you want to have hard copy. In either way, I'd like to have your address, not so I can keep it to exploit it in any way, but if we do lose the internet and we lose contact with each other, at least I'll have your address to where I can physically send you the newsletter. Now that's optional. That's up to you whether you want to give me your address or not. But if you do, know this. I will share it with no one. Absolutely nobody is going to see your address. I won't share your email address or your physical address with anyone at any time. As most shows are, I kind of go where I'm led to go. And I do have some basic topics I want to cover today. And then I'll probably drift often into my rabbit trails and my other things that just happen to touch my heart or cross my mind that I need to relay to all of my listeners. The first thing I want to say is that I'm noticing that a lot of the nurseries are a little bit late with their deliveries as far as plants go. Now, these are not the local nurseries that grow their own from seed. I'm talking about the big commercial nurseries. Now, I don't know whether there's a supply problem or a transportation problem or just what is the problem. But it's not critical because we're still really early. But in central Nebraska by this time, most everyone is starting to buy their onion sets and their potatoes. And we're still about a week away from getting those according to the places that I stopped and talked to. So keep that in mind that all of the deliveries seem to be a little bit late. And who knows if their orders are going to be short or not. Because they might only get half orders or maybe 20% of their order. Maybe they'll get their whole order. I don't know. But we live in a world of very rotten surprises. And I don't want you to be surprised by planning on planting 200 onions and only being able to buy 50 sets. And so buy your plants as early as you can. And if you have to go back again to finish out your order, what you want to buy, plan on that too. I just think it's better to be safe than sorry. 
And once again, I've got to say, please buy open pollinated heirloom seeds that you can be a seed saver and save the seeds yourself. I think that's vital. One of the main topics I wanted to talk about today is going to be how much is too much, how little is too little, as far as using baby steps to go off grid. I've had several people talk to me and tell me that they want to start small, which is okay, but they wanted to buy their equipment and then power some light bulbs. Well, I relayed to them that buying power production equipment, such as wind generators or solar panels and inverters and all that, just to make electricity for a few light bulbs, you're making some very expensive electricity. And so I realized that while I've been telling people to use baby steps, I haven't given any guidelines, and for that I sincerely apologize. I'm going to start out by saying this. Your baby steps can be extremely small, but if they are, don't spend a lot of money to do it. For example, if you have an outbuilding that needs a light once in a while, well, a good baby step is not producing your own power at all. Get yourself a solar light. That's simply an LED light that charges in the daytime. And then you can either have it on a timer or a motion detector before it turns on. Because you won't want to run one of those all night. Because about 3 o'clock in the morning it'll start getting a lot dimmer. And by 5 in the morning you won't hardly see it at all. And lots of times that's when you need the light is during an emergency in the middle of the night. You don't want to just have all of your power wasted. So I would recommend that you get a solar light that either you can turn on and off by switch or one that turns on and off with a motion sensor. And if you choose to get the motion sensor, make sure that it's not in an area where you have a dog in the yard or a tree that when the wind blows, the branches are going to set it off because that's just the same as turning it on all night. You won't have a light at 5 o'clock in the morning if you need it, even if it's on a motion detector, if you put it in a place where there's going to be lots of movement. But there's lots of places that sell these lights, and they start as cheap as like 15 bucks, and go up from there. And the ones that I've been buying are around $35. And most of them have lasted for 10 years. I have two or three that have quit charging. But getting 10 years for about 35 bucks is not a bad deal. And so if you have any outlying areas on your property, there's no use spending the money to run wires from your breaker box clear out to, let's say, a driveway fence or a garage or an outbuilding that is totally disconnected from your main building where you have power. I would thoroughly suggest getting these standalone solar-charged lights because they really do work. I've been using them for years, and when you have them on motion sensor and you have them put at the bottom of stairs in an outbuilding, then automatically as you step toward the stairs, it turns on for you. It's very handy, especially when you're carrying a box. But as far as buying equipment to produce your own power, the minimal use you should be looking at is, I would say, 10 light bulbs and a freezer 
or refrigerator or both. Anything less than that, I would not spend the money to buy the solar panels or the wind charger or the hydro unit, whatever you whatever you plan on doing. And a little side note, out of those three, hydro is by far the best. Because if you get a good hydro unit and you live close to a fast-flowing source of water, like a waterfall or a narrow creek that's running real fast and the water is just shooting through there, you have power 24-7 and you rarely have to do anything at all. It's the most carefree way of doing your own power. Now, if you have a water source that's junky, that has trash and leaves and grass and things like that that float down it, you have to be real careful about keeping your impeller or propeller or whatever you're going to use to have the water turn your generator. You're going to have to pay special attention to keep that area totally clean and clear of any debris. And also, in some places, even fast water will freeze if you're in a climate that gets that cold. Those are the only drawbacks to hydro. Everything else, I think, is very minimal. Now, the drawback to wind is the wind will stop blowing at times. And the drawback with solar is that the clouds will show up at times and all night long, it's dark. And so at best you get 7 to 10 hours of real good power generating off of your solar gear. Whereas hydro, 24-7. And if it doesn't freeze up, 365 days a year. And so if you do have a source of water to drive a hydro unit, I would look into that first. Now, when I say how much is too much, well, the batteries that you're going to need cost, when they're on sale, around $400. And normal price can be as high as $600 for the type of storage battery that you're going to want to use with your own power generation. And so, a minimum of two batteries. And what will those two batteries do? Well, if you have the old-fashioned light bulbs, the 100 watts, you're not going to have power a whole long time on two batteries. But if you're using the new LED light bulbs, depending on how much sun you got during the day and how charged your batteries were at the time of you turning the light on, you should be able to run two or three of those 100-watt equivalent lights all night. Now, if it's the middle of winter and we only get three hours of sun, you'll probably be able to run those lights from like midnight to two or three in the morning. And you can also run your refrigerator and freezer just fine off of the two batteries. But as I say in a lot of my shows, that it is a headspace. Now, how I run my refrigerator, I have my refrigerator on a switch. And I just simply walk to the wall and turn the switch on. And then it, that will turn the power on to my refrigerator, which also has a little freezing compartment on it too. I have that unit set all the way up as high as it'll go, so it'll get as cold as it can. So I try to deep freeze things when I do turn the refrigerator on. And where I have the refrigerator, which is down inside a cellar, I only have to turn the refrigerator on about every other day. 
And during the winter, I have to turn the refrigerator on about every five days. And when I say turn it on, that's turning it on for two or three hours. And that's enough to freeze everything solid. And as long as you're not in a heated room, then during the winter, you really don't have any worries about things spoiling or even thawing out for that matter. But in the summer, I'll have to plug it in about once a day for about three hours. Now, you might say, well, that's a pain. Yeah, it is. We live in an automated world. Everything has to be instant. Instant coffee, instant iced tea, microwave food, heat them almost instantly. Even the bakers are using fast-rising yeast. Everything has to be fast. The faster, the better. Fast, fast, fast. Got a question for you. When did everything hinge upon how fast it could go? It should be on how efficient it is or how good it is, not how fast it is. Because I think in this modern world, people want to get things done really fast so they can go do other things really fast, so they can do other things really fast, and then they can sit down and do nothing. I would rather enjoy my work and have some pride in it. And if it takes an extra day or a week or six months or even a year, if it takes that and I put my heart and soul in it, then I'm just all the more satisfied with my end result. Now, I'm sure if you were going to bake bread, you would rather have it baked in a conventional oven than throw in a bunch of dough in a microwave. At least I would hope so. So that's kind of my point. We live in a microwave world and everyone has to have everything fast and everything has to be convenient. When you go off grid or when you start homesteading, you have to get a mindset that it's going to take some effort and some things that you think are automatic are going to be chores. Just like I have to remember to turn the refrigerator on every day for two or three hours before I turn it back off. Now, sometimes I forget and leave it on, and then around midnight, my power goes out, and I say, oh, I forgot to shut off the refrigerator. But I've never had anything spoil, and it doesn't seem to be hard on the refrigerator to turn it on for two or three hours and just let it sit, because it cools down almost immediately when I flip the switch back on. And so I'm saving a lot of power, and I'm saving that power so I can use it in other places. And so if you do go off grid with baby steps and you buy two batteries and that's all you buy, it's all you can afford, you can still run that refrigerator and that freezer, but you're going to have to run them only in the daytime. And you might have to run one for two or three hours and then switch and then run the other for two or three hours during your time of sunlight. That will definitely keep everything cold and frozen. And you'll be saving a lot of money on powering those two units. Broadcasting from the United States of America, you are listening to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show.
But just powering those isn't quite enough. You have to have some high electricity use areas in your home as far as with lighting that you can use that off-grid as well. That way you're actually paying for your batteries. And your solar panels are going to be anywhere from a hundred bucks up to three or four hundred dollars each depending on what you buy and where you buy it. And then also you're going to have to have a controller and then you have your inverter, which you can spend thousands on an inverter, or you can go, or you can buy a really cheap inverter at a box store that says it has a lot of power, that says it's rated at 3,000 watts, but it won't even come near that in reality. It's probably more like a 1,500 watt unit, and it'll last less than a year and it'll burn up. Whereas if you buy a unit for 1500 to 2000 or more, it'll last for a very long period of time. It'll give you a much higher quality electricity. Because there are differences in electricity. With your square wave, with your real cheap inverters, you get a very dirty power. It's very usable, but it's very dirty. And any sensitive equipment should not be run on square wave. Not unless you have some sort of power conditioner. And even if you condition the power, it's still a square wave. And the square wave still is going to be hard on your equipment. I'm not saying don't buy square wave. I'm just saying buy square wave for things that it won't tear up. You can use square wave for light bulbs. But some of these new light bulbs, the LED light bulbs, don't like square wave. And they'll seem to try to flash on and off at a very high speed. You'll still have your light, but you'll see the power surges going through your light bulb. Well, that's the power surges that would be going through your television and your computer and your radio. And so that's why you don't want to use that kind of inverter on something that is pricey or something that's delicate. And I've used a pure sine wave inverter that's still pretty cheap. It was around $800. And its brand name was GoPower. And it didn't have enough oomph to run my water well, and so I had to trade it off for a better inverter. But as long as you're not trying to do an industrial job, such as a huge drill press, an industrial-sized drill press, or you're pumping lots of water, or anything that's going to take, or anything that's going to be a huge drain on your power, you don't want to use one of those go power units either, because they will burn up. But using it for refrigerators and freezers and lights and electric skillets and microwave ovens and things like that, they're perfect. And what I do here is I cook with a crock pot quite a bit. And while the sun is up, my dinner can be cooking all day long if I keep the temperature on low. And then around 6 o'clock, it's totally ready to go. And so I would have to advise you also. Is a minimum. Take some of your electronic appliances, such as like a bread maker or air oven or one of those little toaster ovens, toasters, coffee makers, blenders, mixers, electric skillets, things like that. Run those off grid because you're not going to run those at night. You're going to run those generally during the day. Now, I personally don't use any of these appliances after the sun goes down because I'd rather have other things powered up 
all night long if I can, than to have a power drain that might make my electricity go down around midnight. And so you have to use your head, because things are not automatic. And so don't plan on going off-grid and having everything be the same as being on-grid, only you don't get a power bill, because it really doesn't work that way. Now, if you have a whole battery bank that has dozens of batteries, and you have dozens of solar panels, you can waste as much electricity as you want 24 hours a day. Now, I've only got 12 batteries, and my batteries are starting to get old, and so they're not holding the charge quite as good as they did when they were new. And I'm going to have to be investing about $2,000 in batteries this year, which is one of the big drawbacks to solar power. But if you look at my savings over the life of over 10 years of being off-grid, I've saved over $19,000 to be used in other places other than paying a power company. And so it sounds real spooky to spend a couple thousand dollars on batteries, but the batteries will be totally paid for within eight or nine months. And then after that, I'm back to making money again. And so you do have to maintain your equipment, and there's expense in that. And so you don't want to be doing baby steps that are so small that what you're spending per kilowatt per hour on self-generated electricity is a lot higher cost of power than if you bought it from the power company, because you don't want to go backwards. And I really don't think there's a too much. Unless you do have, let's say, 24 panels and 24 batteries, and all you're doing is running your freezer and your refrigerator and a few lights and maybe a radio, then you're really overdone it. You won't ever be without power, that's for sure. And so you'll be really happy with what you get. It's just not very efficient. So it's best to start your baby steps as big as you can, and then grow from there. So, again, at a minimum, refrigerator and freezer, at least 10 bulbs, and all your electronic appliances. Or the equivalent of, or if you have a wood shop or a mechanic shop, I would run all of my tools off-grid. Now, again, if it's a commercial type of a shop, and you have the commercial-sized power tools, well, then you might have to upgrade. It might even have to be a bigger baby step as far as initial purchase is concerned. Now, I power everything on the ranch here and in the house with my six solar panels and 12 batteries. And again, I'm underpowered. So if you do what I do, you're going to have to prepare to be without electricity once in a while. But as soon as I get some finances and get some things together, I'm going to double my panels and I'm going to get, and I'm going to have 12 panels. And I'm going to go ahead and get probably six more batteries and have 18 batteries. Once I do that, I think I'm going to be absolutely perfect. But I can weld in my shop. But I weld by what's called positive ground welding right from my batteries. I don't recommend it because you can't control the amperage. So if your batteries are at full charge and they're at full amperage, 
and I have to say here that I use a stick to weld with, you're going to have very high amps. And so you almost have the amperage high enough to cut metal instead of weld it. But while you're using it, the amperage will change in the batteries as it drains the batteries back down. Because there's no way that six solar panels is going to keep up with a welder. And so you might start out with, let's say, 180 amps. And then after 30 seconds, you're at 120 amps. And after three minutes, you're at 90 amps. And so it really takes a lot of skill to be able to weld like that. You have to almost anticipate where your amperage is at. And so your actions can be according to the amperage. And it is really tough to guess that. So I don't recommend people weld that way. But it is a skill set that if you acquire it, it's real handy. And another little side note here is that you can weld anywhere if you have two car batteries. And you can hook them together and make one 24-volt battery. You can weld a little while off those two car batteries, two or three minutes anyway. So you can do emergency repairs out in the field with car batteries. And on a sunny day, if I'm welding with my batteries, I get about 10 minutes worth of welding before I have to stop and let everything recharge again. I've got a whole other bunch of subjects that I'm going to hit at the other side of this. And so I'll be right back. And once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoy the Living Off-Grid Powered Information Show, I would ask that you consider donating to the show to help cover expenses because we don't get paid here. This is all done by donations. And we do not take anything online as far as PayPal or any of that because of all the censorship. Not that they have shut us off. It's just I'm not going to give them the opportunity. So we're going to do it the old-fashioned way by mail check, money order, or if you want to put cash in a secure envelope, we would appreciate any donation, any size. Just send all your correspondence to Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, 69143. That's Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, 69143, and your support is greatly appreciated. This next song was recorded in 1902 by the Edison Military Band. America, played by the Edison Military Band. Replace fear with faith. Replace pessimism with hope. Replace despair 
with determination. And don't be afraid to rely on God and step out on the sea. second half of the Living Off Grid Power and Information Show. I'm your host, Jim Calhoun, and once again, I want to thank you all for tuning in. Now, to kind of add a little bit to the last part of the show, as I record this for broadcasting, we have a very dark, cloudy day that started snowing about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and my solar panels are getting covered with snow real fast. And so normally, I'd have to go out and sweep them off to keep any charging happening. But the sky is so dark that it's really not worth my effort. And so tonight's going to be one of those nights that I will use my square wave. Now, it's not the best backup in the world, but it does work for me. But again, I don't use any sensitive electronics when I use this setup. I just use that to light my house and to do the normal day-to-day things that I need to do. And that way I'll have power this evening. Because I suspect that somewhere around 7 o'clock p.m., my power will be down tonight. When normally, this time of year, even if I use it heavy, I'm up to about 2 in the morning before I lose power. And within the next two or three weeks, I'll be able to go all night long and not lose my power at all. Although this power generation by sunlight is very seasonal, that's why wind generation is superior in ways, and also, as I said earlier, the hydro is superior. The only drawback to wind power is that if you have to put your generating equipment up on a tower, that's very expensive, can be very dangerous, and it will cost an awful lot of money to maintain that. If you have to pull your alternators or generators, whatever you're using, off of your tower to bring them down and put them on a bench and fix them and put them back up, it's going to be time-consuming, dangerous, and expensive. But in some places, the wind blows almost 24-7. And so there are some places that it's probably worth looking at wind power other than solar. But solar is my second choice. If I had a crick running nearby, I definitely would be doing that. But I'm not anti-wind power because I'm building a unit right now to replace what I'm doing as a backup. I'm going to have a wind-powered unit as well, and that's going to be my backup. If the clouds are covering the sky and it's windy, then I'm going to turn on my wind power. 
and then I'll turn my wind power on during the evening and leave it on all night long. And in that way, I don't think I'm going to be without power hardly ever. And so there are ways around everything. If you put your head to it and put your heart in your work, you can overcome almost anything. I just think it's amazing that God has made such a wonderful and, in lots of ways, predictable world for us. And so we can use our inventiveness to try to create power or create better situations in our life or build buildings or whatever you're doing. And we have God to thank for this beautiful planet that he gave us. Another thing God gave us is a food source. And that's where I'm going to be spending the rest of this show is I'm going to talk about foraging. God provided for his people. He provided for all of his creation everywhere. Every ecosystem has its own plant life and animal life that can be used as food sources. And I don't know why people don't understand that before grocery stores, before even you had your world trade back in the times of the great sailing ships where they would sail from Europe all the way to India to buy spices, which to me seems rather silly because there's spice plants growing everywhere. I have about 10 plants that grow in my yard that are much better tasting spice than almost anything you can buy. One of the things I have growing abundantly are two types of mint. And so I like to buy a pure dark chocolate and go out and forage for my mint. And I make my own dinner mints off of my own mint that I harvest. And if you have it in your mind space that you're going to have fun with it and you're going to learn a skill set, then that's three-fourths of the battle. Now, yes, it can be time-consuming. And if you have back issues or knee issues, bending down or crawling around harvesting this can get a little tough, a little bit tedious. And the preservation of what you harvest, of your natural foods, that can be time-consuming as well. So you have to make up your mind that you want to forage, and then you have to make up your mind that you're going to get good at it, and then you're going to have to really make up your mind you're going to stick with it, and you're going to use the knowledge that you gain to advantage. And so I'm going to start with the actual harvesting of the food. If you find some plants that you know are edible, and you've tried them and you like them, and you have a patch, don't harvest all of them. Because I call this God's garden. If you go out and let's say there's 35 of this species of plant that you want to harvest, and you go harvest all of those, chances are pretty good that the next year there's going to be fewer that come up. And then after a year or two, They'll be gone permanently because you've overharvested. And so I'm constantly looking for new places to forage. And all of these places I'm foraging are within a mile of the house. I just make sure that when I see a patch of whatever I'm harvesting, I don't take it all. I usually take about a third. Now, if it's one I really want and I can't hardly find, I'll take up to half, but I don't take any more than that. I would rather do without or be a little bit short on supply on something. I'd rather do that than to forever ruin that source that's available to me. It's kind of like the old story about don't kill the goose that lays the golden egg. 
And after you've identified the plants that you want to get and you've went and harvested them, it's best not to yank them out of the ground by the roots unless you're harvesting the root. Then, of course, you have to take the root. But it's best to take a pair of scissors or a knife, machete, something like that. You're not really harvesting the stem anyway, so leave a couple inches of stem and you can clip it that way. That's more of like an animal would naturally graze it off because that's what those plants are used to. If, if a plant can get used to anything, that's what they're designed to, how they're designed to be clipped. And so I would say an inch or two above the earth, go ahead and, and clip them. And if you're wondering what I'm talking about, if you haven't heard my show before, I'm talking about foraging wild natural food that's growing in your area. The Native American Indians and early pioneers and settlers, they did not have grocery stores and they ate just fine. They grew their own protein, their beef and pork and lamb and, and what have you. They were hunters, and so they had small game as well as large game. But all of them foraged. And that's where they got their vitamins and minerals to finish out their diets. And so you have to study your area, find out what these people ate way back in the day, and simply do what they did. Now, after you get your plants harvested, you're going to want to go rinse them off really well. And regardless of what these New World Order people say, I'm not going to eat any bugs, and I don't recommend you do either. And so I want to wash any bugs off my plants. Also, there's bound to be spider webs, and there's bound to be dirt or dust, or something else you don't want to ingest. You wash it really well, and make sure you get most of the water out. And once you get everything washed, now you're ready to preserve what you've harvested. Now, most of the things that you're going to harvest, as far as natural produce, unless it's a root crop, such as burdock or cattail, you're probably going to be using a method to dry the leaves. And in a sense, you're going to make jerky out of what you harvest. You're going to dry it. If you have a dehydrator or a similar type of a unit, to do dry down, that'll work just fine. But we have the best dryer in the world up in the sky. And that's just using the power of the sun. So what you would do is you make a box and you would put a screen at the bottom of your box. And the screen should not be metal, should be nylon or similar type of a material. Like a shade screen or maybe a nylon door screen. And you drill holes in the side of your box, three or four one-inch holes. And I'll add right here, if you want to keep bugs out of this 100%, go ahead and put screen over these holes as well. And then you simply have a glass top of clear glass or a real nice, good quality clear plastic. And you set that in an angle tilted toward the sun. And then behind this, you put a piece of shiny metal, such as galvanized tin or something, that's going to stick up a couple feet above the height of the box. And you're going to curve it around about from the halfway point back around the back of the box to the other halfway point on either side or on both sides. That'll really concentrate the sunlight and the drying power of your little homemade plant dryer. 
And the secret is, is not trying to dry too many at once. Lay them out to where they don't touch each other. Have roughly a quarter inch between plants so they don't touch. And depending on the sunlight and the humidity conditions, and also the variety of plant that you've harvested, there's really no set time that it takes to dry these. You have to just use your best judgment and reach in, and if they're all crackly and dry and you can crush them into powder with your fingers, they're dry. But also know that lots of the food that you're going to harvest and dry, if you don't store it properly, humidity will get back in. And let's say you want to grind some spices and you have some leaves. There's many times that these leaves that were perfectly dry that you put inside a very tight container, when you take them out, they're just a little bit too wet for you to crush. They're not really wet, but they just don't have that extra crispiness to them anymore. So in that case, if you have that going on, you're going to have to re-dry these plants. And lots of times you harvest them in the summer and you put them away and use them as the season progresses. And so let's say you harvest something in June and it's crackly dry and you go to process it in October and you pull it out and you can't process it because it doesn't seem as dry as it should be, well, then simply turn your oven on to 200 degrees and put it in your oven for about 10 minutes. No more than that, just enough to dry it back up. And then you go ahead and process it per normal. You can really have a lot of fun by going out and harvesting your own food and foraging. Not only can it be fun, it's educational. And if you're a couch potato and it gets you off the couch and gets you active, it's really great for your health. And the fresh air and sunshine you're going to get is also going to be very good for your health. And that's one of the reasons why the Native American Indians and the early pioneers, even though most of them died young, the life expectancy has gone up. But I don't think life vitality has. There's lots of people today that live to be 95 years old that have never done anything. They just sit there and played cards or drank coffee or what, whatever, but they haven't really done anything. And I would much rather live my life and go out and experience the wind blowing through my hair and feeling the warm sunshine. I'd rather do that, listen to the birds sing. So there's a therapeutic value to foraging. And you get so many benefits other than just met, other than physical health. You get some spiritual health and some mental health. And you save some money. And best of all, you're eating better quality food than what you could buy at a grocery store. Because all of the commercially grown food is grown with pesticides and chemicals, unless it's organic, and then you're paying through the nose. And lots of things that say they're organic, in my opinion, are questionable whether they are or not. And still there's a process that happens between when it's picked to when it's actually placed on the shelf or offered at a grocery store. And even at times, some of the best food and the people with the best intentions have their food contaminated between the farm and your table. And so you're much safer growing your own garden and foraging. Now, the last thing I want to say about foraging 
is if you don't know what to forage, we'll go out and walk, find out, do your studying first. And after you know what's poisonous and what's not, go out and do some taste testing. Some of these plants you're not going to like. Just like food in a grocery store. There's foods that people walk by all the time, wouldn't even think of buying it. And the next person right behind them, that's what they came in the store to buy. So it's personal taste. And before you harvest anything, I would get online and find out the nutritional values of everything that you're going to go out and forage. Because almost every plant on earth has been analyzed in one way or another. And you should be able to find the facts about this as a food source. And find out how many carbs and how many natural sugars and how many vitamins and what type of vitamins and so forth. Or if it has any protein. Because none of the plants that you're going to forage are junk food. All of them have some very good health benefits. And it would be good for you to go out and specifically look for different plants to replace store-bought plants that may not be available if we have a huge crisis. So just for my example, I'm going to use green beans. If you love green beans, and green beans are something that make you feel good because of the chemical makeup of the green bean as far as the vitamins and minerals and so forth. If that's something your body likes and that your taste likes, then you need to go out and find something that you can forage that tastes similar to a green bean. And if you can't do that, find one that has similar food values. Now, one thing I did is I looked up a plant called lamb's quarter, and I was going to use that to replace spinach. After I did my research, I found out that lamb's quarter is about twice as nutritious as spinach. And so I don't buy spinach at all anymore. I use lamb's quarter. It's much better for you. You're going to find lots of examples like that yourself. So if you need a plant that has a lot of vitamin C and vitamin A in it, if that's what you bought at the grocery store and that's what you're getting, Let's say you run out of this food source in your pantry and you can't buy any because of supply shortages or what have you. If you already have the knowledge of what you're going to go forage for and why you're going to forage for it, then you can keep your diet more or less intact, even if you're using a whole bunch of foraged food. Because if you just go cold turkey and just start eating things you forage, your body's not used to that. You kind of gradually have to add things to your diet. And if you're like me, you're going to start developing a taste for some of these plants you'll harvest. And as you're out for a nature walk or just out walking from point A to point B and you happen to look down and there's one of these plants you love, it gives you some joy and it makes you smile. Because you know what that plant is. You know how good it tastes, how good it is for you. And most people that are afraid of going hungry would walk past this plant or step on it as they walk by, never knowing that they were hungry, but there was their food right there. And so we as a nation have to understand that 
It's up to us. Whether we starve, it's up to us how healthy we are. It's up to us to get our exercise, to eat right, do the right things. It's up to us to get right with God. Nobody has another person live their life. Now, there are people that try all the time, but it doesn't work out too good for them. And so we have to do the best that we can do every day. Mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, with our food source. But we need to have a plan. We need to know why we're doing what we're doing. And if you say, well, this crazy guy on the radio said I need to go out and harvest some plants out in the back 40 and and eat on them. I don't know why, but I'm going to go out and do it. Well, that doesn't make any sense. But if you say, well, some crazy guy on the radio says that these things are good for you, and I've done my research, and he's right. They're really good for me, and I really like the taste of them, and there's a patch of them right there, so I'm going to go harvest those, and I'm going to have... And I'm going to put those in my diet. Now, that's acceptable. That's the way it should be done. So go out with some knowledge. And again, it's a headspace. Be very thankful that God has provided this food for us. Because like I say, I call it God's garden. And God's garden is everywhere. Every culture, every continent, every country, every place has their own different plants they can forage. And the last little thing I'm going to say is that every area on this planet used to have its own cuisine. Now, right now, we call it Greek food or Italian food or Mexican food or what have you. But there was a time where every region, even sometimes a certain valley in the mountains, would have their own different cuisine because they would use the native plants in their diet. And maybe the native plant only grew in this one valley and this one mountain range in the world. And so these people had a cuisine different than anybody. Well, it used to be that way everywhere. Where I live on the base of the sand hills, I'm sure that the Lakota Sioux and the Pawnee that inhabited this area had their own cuisine. And I'm rediscovering that cuisine by taste testing and using these plants that they used when they were here. And one of the things that makes Mexican food different, as far as the regional type, is that they cook their, they cook their food in Sonora with different spices than they do in Baja. And so if you say you like Mexican food, well, that's kind of a one-size-catch-all blanket phrase. Because the food in Mexico City does not taste like the Sonoran food, which does not taste like the Baja food. It's all Mexican food, but it all has its own flavor because they use local ingredients. And so if you live in the middle of Indiana and you start foraging, you're going to rediscover the Indiana cuisine that everybody used to eat before the advent of mass transportation, and grocery stores, and so forth. So you're going to reinvent a cuisine. And I would recommend that you cook with it and use it in salads and so forth and so on. And you can develop a style of your own. And again, learn a new skill set and have fun. 
Well, I hope you've got something from this show today. And I want to say thank you again to those who sent contributions. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And if you'd like to partner with me, I would love to have more people partner with me because every penny goes back in to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. And I take checks, money orders, or cash, and you would make the checks out to Thunderbolt West Media. Thunderbolt West Media. And you would mail those to Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska. 69143. That's P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, 69143. And your contribution is greatly, greatly appreciated. And if you want to send me an email, it's jim at offgridliving.faith. Jim at offgridliving.faith. And with the help of Bob Beerman, who I really appreciate, We're getting the website worked on as much as we can. Bob is putting the transmitter up at WRMI, and I'm busy trying to do the shows as well as get the newsletter ready. And so it's been kind of tough finding time to finish the website. But we're working on it slow but steady, and the website is going to be offgridliving.faith. That's a nice, simple address. Once again, offgridliving.faith. And it is up, but it's pretty empty right now. And so I'm going to give you my old website address, which is still active. And that's livingoffgridshow.wixsite.com forward slash L-O-G show. Once again, livingoffgridshow.com dot wix site dot com forward slash log show but in the meantime i really do appreciate all the email contacts because i'm getting lots of good ideas for the show so keep those emails coming i really appreciate it thanks a whole bunch well this hour has gone it's flown by thanks again for listening and until next time Be strong. Keep learning. Be safe. But most of all, replace fear with faith. And until next time, this is Jim Calhoun with the Living Off Grid Power and Information Show. Thank you for listening to Thunderbolt West Media.